Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. My friends, welcome back to Hemp Present. I am Vivian McPeak. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. Today's guest on Hemp Present is Malcolm McKinnon. Malcolm is a veteran photojournalist and writer based in New York City with over 30 years behind the camera, often using the pen name of Dan Skye. He is the former editor-in-chief of High Times and was a staff member of the magazine from 1991 to 2017. He also served as the executive editor for Hemp Times from 1996 through 1999. His work has been published in more than 200 publications worldwide, and he's interviewed and photographed a wide range of celebrities. Over 25 trailblazing years, Malcolm has traveled over a million miles on assignment, photographing the plant as well as the leaders of legalization and crafting an unrivaled archive of marijuana photography. He's just published his book, Pot Shots, The Journey of a High Times Photographer. His passion has always been the camera, and in his book, he's captured cannabis culture's essence from its advocates to its adversaries, and I have him right here with me. Welcome back, Malcolm to Present. Oh, thank you, Vivian. So pleased to be on the show. I really appreciate you. Let me talk about my book today. Yeah, my pleasure. And, you know, I just want to say that... uh, I covet that great photo you took of me and Woody Harrelson backstage at HempFest. Um, it's one of the only actual pictures that I have of all those years of me actually kind of working with someone, you know, as I'm showing him a clipboard. And you were there for that moment somehow. I don't know how you did it. Um, no, I was back, backstage. It was, it was great. Uh, you know, the, you, were, you were mapping out what to do with Jack, uh, telling him where he would be on stage and stuff. But I do have some photos of you, Vivian, doing your thing on the main stage uh you're in my book uh you're one of the what? leaders and i have a whole, whole chapter devoted to leaders of the movement and obviously you're one of them oh wow i had no idea that's uh, i'm yeah. honored i'm honored well we covered this we covered this the last time that you're on the show but just for the benefit of today's listeners i want to get out of the way uh can you touch on how you became involved in photography yeah, well, you know, I, I I started taking photos very, very late in life, about, about age 29. Uh, I was taking great shots with a snapshot camera, and my wife got me a uh, Canon AE-1 for my birthday and uh, for Christmas, and I was on my way. I just started shooting everything in sight. I never took a photo class in my life. I just read lots of books, looked at lots of magazines, and I got better and better. And uh, I was in the fitness industry at the time. It was my second career. I came to New York to be an actor. And so I was in, in the middle of my fitness career, and Peter Gorman, who uh, uh, was an editor with the magazine, he passed away last year, sadly. Um, he was a good friend of mine, and he recommended me to shoot some of his stories, and that put me on my way. I did my first photos in 1989 as a freelancer, and uh, I ended up do, having a 25-year career with High Times, and I ended up being published in five different decades with High Times. So if I were, if this were hockey, I'd be Gordy Howe, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> No, I really, I had a tremendous career with High Times, uh, 25 years. Um, and uh, believe me, it was the, the highlight of my life, doing all the things I did, gave me more opportunities to meet more people and all different kinds of people. 
uh, that was that was my uh, career with High Times. It was really just a, a, a dream come true to have a have a have a third of my life spent covering the cannabis plant. You know, I met Peter Gorman in 1990 at the Oregon Country Fair. What a great dude, man! And and he's he's really missed. Um, uh, Peter was great. He really he was a fine fine writer, and he ended up uh, becoming a, a an ayahuasca expert. Um, yes, and he wasn't yes. just like what, he wasn't a dilettante. I mean, he studied this for 30 years. He was he he went to the Amazon every single year and became very very versed in ayahuasca journeys and uh, helped a, gr- a great number of people and he's yes he is very very much missed yeah he became kind of a, sh- a shaman of sorts um amazing <laughs> dude man amazing dude so malcolm yeah. high times magazine was a groundbreaking trailblazing publication that arguably did more to advance identify and influence the the legacy cannabis culture than any other single entity entity i can think of as mentioned in my introduction and you said you were chief photographic journalist uh, for 25 years for High Times. How did you get started at the magazine? And what were those years like for you? Well, you know, I started, like I said, I did my first shot in 1989, uh, took some shots of Rocket Munaka, which was bang candy from India. And it went on from there. Um, uh, I was uh, just a, a part-timer. Uh, I really wasn't all that uh, sure that I wanted to remain with High Times. But then I started having more and more success shooting. When I did the story on Jack Herer in 1995, um, and did his cover that put, I mean, that this, it was the biggest issue we've had in, in years. It was just tremendous. And I realized that I was onto something that I was doing good work and I became far, far more interested in not just being a journalist, but being a cannabis journalist. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I, uh, moved on to hemp times and worked for both hemp times and high times simultaneously covered the uh, emerging hemp movement. And, uh, it, you know, covered all kinds of things. Uh, when Woody Harrelson planted four seeds in Kentucky illegally and orchestrated his own arrest, I was there. When the Lakota grant, uh, planted hemp on Pine Ridge in 2000, 2001, 2002, I was there. So I really got to participate in a lot of historic uh, happenings in the, the cannabis um, uh, movement. I was, you know, extremely fortunate. Um, and I was given a lot of opportunities at high times. Um, to cover the things that, that I want to cover. I got very, very involved in Native issues because I've always been uh, a proponent uh, or just a, a supporter of uh, Native rights issues. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I got started, just as a photographer. But as I realized, my photographs uh, would only be, u- be used in other people's stories. When I realized that, I said, I'm going to start writing myself. I had a journalism minor in uh, college, and so I, I took to it right away. And I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the whole act of making a magazine i think you know about that you know being a managing editor for skunk you see the magazine come to life you see you know you birth something every month it's a great great job to have i think in the cannabis industry to be a journalist yeah it is it is great because you you work so hard and so many you collaborate with so many people and the the pressure's on and you got a deadline and and you barely make it and then it comes out and you've got something in your hands especially in old days um, and and you know, I'm fortunate. I still work with an actual print magazine. Yeah, I was exactly. You're very, very fortunate. You know, it's it's true though. I mean, every month, you know, the, when the magazines would come in in boxes, the whole office would stop and everything would get quiet. Everybody would look through the magazine page by page to see what was done. So the idea yeah, wasn't exciting every month to see that magazine come out. And you know, there are many cannabis magazines out there now. A lot of them are, you know, giveaways throwaways i should say um you know you know there are so many out there right now 
And uh, people ask me, you know, you know, how to get into pot journalism. How do you do that? I said, well, you know, folks, do it yourself. Find a town or a state or a city or a county that needs a cannabis magazine in one of the legal states. There are dispensary owners out there who want to give you their money. They want to advertise. They want to make business. So that's what I would suggest to anybody who's looking into cannabis journalism right now. Yes, we live in the age where content is king, right? <laughs> that is that is the truth. I mean, the, the thing is that, you know, it, I, I think High Times doesn't have quite the edge it used to. High Times used to be very much into alternative consciousness, really took on the government very, very strongly. And I think all cannabis uh, magazines, uh, not all, but certainly many of them seem to have become very, very soft. Um, they're, they're not quite as edgy as they used to be. Um, as, as cannabis journalism used to be when we saw high times and cannabis culture and so forth. So, yeah, but it's a different different era now, now that it's illegal and mainstream and you have the suits getting into the business. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are complaining about that, that, you know, that the movement has gone in the wrong direction. It's not quite what we expected when we talked about making pot mainstream, but these yeah. are all things that we have to deal with now. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it's sad because I hear a lot of things about people who are just plain shady. You know, and I think there was a real sense of honor in the days of the 90s and the 80s, you know, among pot dealers and pot growers. And so, you know, there's a great deal of honor. You didn't you didn't rip people off. Yeah, but that seems to be something becoming commonplace from what I understand. It's, it, it, it's amazing when the big bucks come in, uh, <laughs> the transformation that can happen in, in anything. Right. Um, you know, I just want to say we, we, we got to go to break um, here in a second, Malcolm. But I want to say that that high times. In, in addition to it, the cannabis culture and the counterculture, it was an amazing, it had an amazing investigative journalism and political journalism in, in it. It was actually a, a really groundbreaking magazine in more ways than one. Do you agree? Oh, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, some of the people, Bill Weinberg, for example, he actually went down to Mexico and met Commander Marcos of the Zapatistas. He did that. He was a you know a high times journalist. That was groundbreaking. Peter Gorman, you know, took on politi- politicians all the time. He he did investigative journalism like nobody else. We had some wow. great great journalists in the in the, back in those eighties and nineties. Well, we yeah, got we got to take on a break right now. So don't go anywhere. I'm going to come back. We're going to start uh, and we're going to talk about Malcolm's book. Don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We are back with Malcolm McKinnon. Um, Malcolm, I want to at some point I want to go back and, and ask you about some of your cooler assignments at High Times, but but I want to talk about your sure. book, Pot Shots: The Journey of a High Times Photographer. Can you describe your new book for us? Yeah, well, basically it's got a number of chapters. It covers the icons, uh, starts with the icons of the movement, who I always considered to be Jack Herr, Dennis Perone, Tommy Chong, and Dr. Lester Grinspoon. I know there are other people as well, but I always felt these four people were the, uh, you know, the stalwarts, the people who we really looked up to, who really carried the banner at first for us in the, in the movement. And then it covers gardens, uh, beauty in the buds, uh, covers the leaders. I have a number of, I also shot many portraits of models, shot many, many celebrities who were kind enough to pose with pot. So it's, it's a number of different chapters and a few of my, you know, strange uh, assignments that, 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 that were, were memorable. So I, it's, it's a, a book of, over 200 pages has over 300 photos and as i say it's a real document of the history of the cannabis movement um it 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 talks about a time when pot was dangerous i think that's been forgotten by a number of people and also a new generation that didn't go through with what we did 
pot was downright dangerous. It was perilous to smoke a joint, whether you're growing, whether you were dealing pot, you were taking your life in your own hands. I think in the early days, High Times had that mission. You know, we're taking on the government. We have a mission to make pot legal. And I think that was uh, that's what motivated me to write my book, because I was hearing so, you know, I I think those times were being forgotten. Uh, and I had so many photos that covered those those people who were so important to the movement, um, all the all the leaders and all the uh, the people who have done so many much. Many are gone uh, now. Oh, I was just about to say that so many people are not going to get the recognition they deserve. Uh, so many people worked so hard, and as I, as you said, so many have, p- have passed on. I mean, it's a new generation. And for example, you know, people so many younger people don't know that Jack Hare was the leader of the movement. He's not just a strain, everybody. He was <laughs> oh, man. a there yeah. he was um he was a you know he was the moses of cannabis that's for yeah. sure and cannabis was his burning bush <laughs> you know jack you know had his stroke all right and i, I think that was around 2010 or something like that and anybody uh, a little bit of, it was 2000 when he was had it? Stroke, oh two, yeah you're right. right you're i'm sorry i think he passed yeah. away in yes in 2010 you're right yes yes his stroke was in 2000 anybody else would have been done right it would have been over for them the speaking yeah. the touring uh, and he didn't miss a beat. I mean, he came right back at it, and, uh, yeah, no, he, and he literally he, he, learned to talk again on stage. He refused to stop. I, I've never seen I anybody so driven in my life. Yeah, the thing is, he had a magnificent gift for speaking, and he never recovered completely his gifts for speaking. Um, and I, I photographed him for his third High Times cover. I photographed the first two, and this was right after his stroke, and he could barely speak. And I remember being at his home, and he tried to express himself, and he yeah. just couldn't. You know, he just could not get the words out. It was, but within it, a few years, within a few years, though, he was doing much better, and he could give still moving speeches, even if yes. they were halting. And he'd search for words. You knew that he his passion had never wavered. Yeah, I was completely blown away that his, at his his drive and his determination. I mean, there's nothing was going to stop him from getting his message out. Nothing, right? No, and uh, he was always that always that way, always that way. And he said that he would not stop until he reached the age of 80 or something like that. Uh, you know, he save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80 percent lean ground beef for three forty nine a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink or Arizona tea for 77 cents each all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. His book, he promised that he would never give up carrying the banner. So, yeah, I I encourage everybody to take a look at the book and learn who these people were. Because, uh, you know, of those four icons that I mentioned, three of them are dead. Tommy's still going strong. And Tommy is just an amazing individual, truly is. I asked him one time, what, what do you, how do you account for your popularity? For, you know, it just seems to grow. People, everybody seems to have a picture with you. He says, I'm real. I'm not somebody on a movie screen or on a TV show or just doing interviews. I'm real. People know I'm real. You know? And that's basically he's, it. He's, he's terribly down person. to earth. He's actually a really yeah. nice person. Um, yeah, you know, true. I had the benefit at HempFest, Seattle HempFest, to work with some of you know, famous people and some of my heroes and a lot of celebrities. Um, I think not as many as you. Um, and it was always interesting to find out who was kind of arrogant and full of themselves and demanding or, or, or distance. 
and who was really down to earth and real and approachable, you know, and kind. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you over the opportunity uh, over the years, you had the opportunity to interview a wide range of celebrities. Um, who did you enjoy mm -hmm. interviewing the most? Well, I think uh, the the people that really I, I I'll say the people who intimidated me the most because I'm not you know normally I, I don't really take celebrities all that seriously but there are a few like Merle Haggard uh, who was on the cover of Hemp Times and I interviewed him and he's a very gruff personality one of the real icons in the pantheon of country music along with Waylon and Willie and you know he was he was one of those those guys and uh, just very very nice very very polite and every time I took a shot he'd do this. Ex extravagant chord on his guitar it was really wonderful but he was such a nice guy <laughs> and i remember when i interviewed him he was very very clear that i listen I'm, I'm talking about hemp here i'm not talking about marijuana or anything like that i want to make that clear i'm talking about hemp here i said no problem this is hemp time we're going to talk about that he immediately takes his pipe fills it with pot and starts smoking during the interview <laughs> so <laughs> well felt. We don't smoke <laughs> marijuana in Muskogee. <laughs> I guess he wasn't in Muskogee. Yeah, no, but he did up in, right, oh, yes. right in the studio. Oh yes, yes. I, was, I was in. It was I was funny in that song. I believe was supposed to be a parody, and 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 it would be a giant hit by people that took it seriously. Oh yeah, they apparently they were all on the bus together, and they were going down the street, and they're saying, you know, some oh, there's a footwear, uh, there's this, you know, we just going down the street in Muskogee, and they just made up this song as they went along. And of course, <laughs> the weirdest part is the, is the Republicans picked that up. They thought, oh, this is an anthem for us, you know, the, right, to be right. you know, good God-fearing American. They didn't even realize, you know. It was actually Jesus. a parody of them. <laughs> yes, it was. It absolutely <laughs> was. Yeah, no, he was, Merle's great. Uh, what other, and, what other yeah, celebrities yeah. were really, really fun? Um, I'd have to say Woody was because he was, you know, he's, he's got a very, very youthful kind of, he's kind so of cool. way about him. He, yeah. Uh, he's just just a nice guy. Uh, Down you know, to I, earth, I watched him. Yeah, I watched him with with his fans and he, people would come up to him, and he was always polite and nice. You know, he said, "I think that's because I was raised by women." You know, he's but he was. Oh, I only saw him get tense once, and that was after one of his court hearings when he had planted four seeds in Kentucky. Uh, he, he he was just getting mobbed, and he got a little bit tense. Just get me out of here. Get me out of here. But you know, but normally he's just a very very laid back kind of kind of cool Texas uh, energy about him. Yeah, he was he was wonderful. You know, I, I interviewed uh, Penn Gillette and I you know I he did I did it right before his magic show in Las Vegas and he gave me a 17 minute interview and I have never heard anybody talk so much in 17 minutes give me so much information. <laughs> I mean, he was just unbelievable. He truly truly was. Lewis Black, another guy, just you know he smoked pot. He said all through Yale drama school doesn't smoke anymore. But, you know, just a very gentle guy, very unlike his, his stage persona, you know, very, very mm -hmm. gentle guy and very, very thoughtful, too. You know, comedians are were always easy to get on the cover of uh, to get into the magazine. They have always had something to say. And I, I remember uh, interviewing Roseanne. This is before she went, you know, haywire, you know, said all yeah. these crazy, crazy, crazy shit. Um, but she's, she said, what I said, what is it about comedians? Says, we're, we Lance Boyles. You know, we see things that are bubbling up and we lance them. We poke at them. You know, that's what we do. And that's what uh, that's what comedians do. The best comedians who, you know, you know, from George Carlin and, uh, you know, Chris Rock and everybody, you know, they all have that ability to see things in a different way. But they make us see it. And that's uh, why I always like Lewis Black so much. He makes us see things that we may not have. We, we were aware of it, but we don't see it as clearly as he does. You know, that's the great thing about comedians. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I interviewed so many people, uh, you know, Jesse Ventura. I called him up when he was on his radio show. 
uh, when he was running for governor of Minnesota. And uh, he was in the middle of the show, and he's in, uh, his uh, producer said he'll call you right back. And he did, you know. So, so yeah, this was when he was running for for governor, and he consented to the interview in, uh, instantly because he wanted the publicity. He wanted to talk about hemp. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, it was always great meeting meeting celebrities because you never knew who you were getting. And I, I who what they were going to be like. I got to interview Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. You know, I've interviewed, you know, a few of the icons from Woodstock, from Graham Nash and uh, uh, David Crosby. Uh, wow. Uh, Car- Carlos Santana, Arlo Guthrie, all those guys from, you know, I got, they were all in high times at one time or another. And uh, I was really, really just feel for- so fortunate to have met, these, met these guys. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So uh, all of these people, not all the people I'm talking about right now are in the book, but you'll see, you know, all of these chapters in 200 pages, you'll see a real cross-section of people who were, who were supportive of cannabis and who really, you know, put it out there. I think Woody was the first one to really, you know, really, mainstream celebrity to put his celebrity on the line and other people followed suit um people were glad to go into hemp times um it seems seems a little bit tamer but getting celebrities in high times was always kind of a a, a problematic you know musicians and comedians were great but getting mainstream actors yeah they're worried about the blowback their image exactly but woody didn't care about that woody woody said i'm going to do it anyway and his career has prospered when, when we had Woody, the, I think it was the second year, he's backstage at the main stage after he spoke, and there was this giant crowd of young people at the gate, right? Uh, and there's only one way out, you know, waiting for him. And so I was there with our security people like, you know, how are we going to get him out of here, you know? And so we got this idea. We took him backstage uh, in the tent, put a staff shirt on him, some glasses and a floppy shirt. And three staff, four staff people walked out, got on a Cushman and drove away. And they're all standing there waiting for Woody Harrelson with no <laughs> idea that he had just left. He'd just gone right by him. Right. And uh, boy, he, he I'd never heard that. He liked that so much. He, he thought that was the coolest thing. And uh, and of course, we let him keep the staff shirt. All right. I've actually run a minute over and that's not cool. We're going to come right back with our, our last segment with Malcolm McKinnon. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back with our final segment for Malcolm McKinnon. Um, Malcolm, we both lived long enough to have existed in two worlds. The world before cannabis reforms had taken hold when weed was highly illicit, illegal and taboo uh, subject and substance. And you kind of, you know, referred to that. And today where cannabis is legal, legally available in roughly half the United States, I think we're one state away from half. I was talking to a friend last night. If you were 20, 21, 22 years old, you might not remember when cannabis wasn't for sale in brick and mortar stores, right? Um, I don't think they would. (laughs) No, they wouldn't. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're eight years old or something, you're not aware of that stuff. What are your thoughts on the state of cannabis today? And you you touched on that a little bit, but if you could expound on that. Well, you know, I have to say that I'm still buying off the black market. I get a wonderful pot from a uh, private private uh, grower, and it's, it's wonderful stuff. I have tried some of the stuff in dispensaries. I'm not real pleased. Um, I think it's way overpriced, and I think that uh, I think the industry has been hurt, not only by people who are in to make a quick buck, but the fact is we have politicians who are uh, don't understand cannabis to begin with, and want to make a lot of money uh, on it. So they overtax it, overregulate it, and the burden on the industry is tremendous. I can't think of any new industry that has these kind of burdens put upon them. But that's the story right now. And I think things are loosening up a bit. 
Um, I'm still, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I, 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 I just would like to see it like tomatoes and just uh, remove the stigma altogether. We you have still to have people, you know, robbing dispensaries and doing crazy stuff like that. And I just wish it was not quite as valuable as people think it is because it is just a plant. It is a, a amazing plant. It has curative properties that are just off the hook. And I just wish uh, people would uh, look at it in that way once again, and rather than as merchandise, so yeah, I'm I'm not pleased with the industry's going, but um, as I said, uh, I'm I'm happy with what I'm buying right now, and I think a lot of people are still buying off the black market because the pot's better and it's cheaper. So, you know, I don't know what to say. You know, I'm not really involved in the business side of the industry anymore. I've always been a journalist, so I'm uh, I hear what a lot of people are saying, and I witnessed a lot of it, and uh, you know, I've, I uh, I'm I'm not sold on the new industry. I wish it could be better. You know, that's all I can say, really. You know, my opinion is it's it's a mixed bag. And, and you know, those of us that worked for, on reform for, you know, like in my case, more than half my life, uh, legalization meant to me that nobody's in jails and prisons, you know. That's right. That's <laughs> so, like, uh, it seems like this is legalization on the prohibitionist terms. And, and that's not, well, we can do better. It's true. I mean, when, it's true. I mean, you're like in a state in Co- like Colorado, you have two states that border Colorado, Kansas and Nebraska, where it is still highly illegal. You know, so it's a very, very strange country we're living in right now when you can have two different sets of laws that are so absolutely diametrically opposed. So, yeah, yeah, like I said, I wish we we could grow it like tomatoes and that vegetable stands, uh, roadside vegetable stands in New England could sell it just like they sell native corn and tomatoes. Yeah, Maybe, Maybe someday. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, we we yeah. have a little over a minute left. I want to make sure we get to this question, and that is how can people get a hold of a copy of your book and are signed copies available? I am self-publishing. So yeah, if you want to uh, contact me, I will order the book and sign it for you and send it to you. And I've been doing that for the last three weeks since uh, it was published. You can go to Pot Shots Book, Pot Shots, plural, potshotsbook.com. That'll lead you right to the Amazon page, or you can go straight to Amazon. Look for Pot Shots, The Journey of a High Times Photographer. If you'd like it signed, once again, all you have to do is just uh, ask me, um, and we, uh, we'll get get in touch through, with me uh, through Facebook, and uh, or uh, just check out PotShotsBook.com. You can contact me through there as well, and I'll be glad to sign copies for you. So, yeah, please uh, check it out. It's uh, Christmas is coming. This is a great stoner gift, and uh, it's a great coffee table book so please uh check it out everybody merry christmas it'll be merrier when you buy my book <laughs> <laughs> yes it'll be merrier for you too you know i just want to say that you've always been such a great dude man you know i've worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years and uh it was always a pleasure working with you man and um, oh thank you vivian you know, and, and, and knowing you and you know, our politics align as well, which, which is so important in this day and age. And I'm never afraid to go right. there on my show, of course. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, I just so look forward to seeing your book, man, because I know the passion and the, the skill that you put in uh, to all of your work and the work that I've seen is just exemplary. And, and frankly, the photography in high times in a large part defined the magazine. Um, oh, it and, did. You know, the center we were the National Geographic, the National Geographic of marijuana. Put that's it that right. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I just want to thank well, you so Vivian, much. I'm, go ahead. You bet. Well, Vivian, I'm going to send you a book. Uh, uh, I'm going to so let don't, you. Don't, you don't have to go out and buy it because you got a you, you have two photos in that book of of, of you, and uh, you know you, there's pictures of a uh, few pictures from the Seattle Hemp Fest. So I'm, definitely, I'm, I want to send you a book. Malcolm, I'm honored, um, and I'm and I'm honored to have you on the show. Thanks so much, man. Oh, uh, thanks. It's been my pleasure. That concludes this installment of Hampton on Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice. Find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. The Hemp Present theme song is uh, Intro Music's Take Back the Plant by Stricker Bush, and the outro music is Seven Mile Beach by Joanne Rand. Stay strong. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.